Hey everyone, I'm Michaela for those of you who don't know me and I'm a leader at Lumination. Um, this week, you get the privilege of listening to me. I'm joking, no. Um, I get the privilege of bringing you this week's news. Um, so yeah, our first item is that today at 11 o'clock, which is after the sermon, um, there will be a Zoom meeting slash hangout slash meetup whatever you want to call it, uh, for the grade 10s to 12s with their leaders. Just come hang out, tell us how you're feeling, tell us what you've been up to during the lockdown. We'll let you know what we've been up to and, you know, let's just catch up. Um, and that will be on Zoom. So please follow the link in the description below. Um, that will take you to our Illumination page where all the Zoom login details can be found. And... Yeah, so that brings us to number two, uh, which is that next week, Sunday, we're not going to have a normal sermon that's streamed, but we're going to have a Zoom Q&A session. So if you are a regular at our church, you know that um, after every series we go through, we try and have a Q&A session where Black and Gareth just sit with everybody and answer questions that you may have. It's going to be exactly like that, just on Zoom. So again, follow follow the link in the description below for more details and the Zoom login. Please don't let anything stop you from coming. If you are shy or if you are awkward or if you don't have enough data, literally you don't even have to show us your face or let us listen to your voice. Like you can join without your video or audio connected. There you save data if you are low on data and also you will be able to hear all the questions being asked and answered um so please again don't be afraid and don't let anything stop you from coming it's not like we're gonna check who's there like if you have questions you can come ask and yeah just come hang out ask us some questions just hang um please keep an eye out for all of our social media we have three or four forms of communication. Our WhatsApp group, which is our Illumination communication group. Please send us a message if you are not on that group and you would like to be. Um, or you can go online and literally get your parents to fill out a form and we'll get your numbers and just add you onto the group. And then the second one is that we have a Facebook page along with an Instagram page um, where we literally post midweek to let you know what's happening during the weekend or if there are any midweek events. And then our last thing is that we have a TikTok account. Our TikTok account, if you don't already know, is where we post daily devotionals. Um, Yeah, so we're currently going through the Psalms. All of our leaders are picking a Psalm to go through. And it's literally a one-minute devotional um, where you get to learn more about Jesus. And yeah, just stay connected with us. We are still here. And let us know that you're still there. Um, Enjoy the sermon that's about to be preached. Um, And yeah, we're praying for you and we hope to see you soon. Bye. Hey, what's up, guys? My name is Black Newborn, one of the youth pastors here at Christchurch Midrand. I'm super delighted that you are able to join us this morning as we continue in our series in the book of Esther.
God is still in control. God is the one who is behind the wheel. As much as his name is not mentioned in the book of Esther, as much as we don't directly see his working, we see it in the activities of the people in the book of Esther. And that is a pretty exciting thing for us, uh, reason why we also wanted to just dive into this book to kind of show us uh, that in the ordinary happenings of life, God is still there. So I'm pretty stoked, man, that you could be with us this morning as we continue in the book of Esther. Two weeks ago, I just took us through chapter 1 to 10 to give us an overview of what this book is about, to give us the characters, uh, to give us some of the plot twists so that we can anticipate what is happening in this book of Esther and to kind of excite us as well so that we can get into the book of Esther ourselves in our own personal quiet reading time. And so last week, Gareth then took us through chapter 1, 2, and 3 uh, to give us a more zoomed-in perspective on what's happening with the details and the inner workings and the activities uh, of the people here in the book of Esther. Today, I'm going to continue doing the same thing as I take us to uh, through chapter 4, 5, and 6 of the book of Esther. Uh, so won't you bow your heads wherever you are. Uh, let me lead us in a time of prayer so that we can jump straight into it. Yo, Lord, please be with us um, as we get into your word right now. Uh, empower us by your Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord, to see you in this book. Uh, I pray, Father, that you may help us with our own pride, our own arrogance, our own ego, our own self-sufficiency, our own uh, independence. Help us to let go of all of that, Lord. Help us to uh, just yeah, throw all of that and surrender ourselves before you. Go before you in humility. As we see that happening in these next chapters, Lord, I pray that you may speak to us. Uh, open up our hearts, open up our ears, open up our eyes and help us to hear and see what is truth and help us to respond appropriately. Be with me as I preach whatever is not true. Don't let it stick, Lord, and whatever is true. I pray that you may convict us and help us, Father, uh, to live lives that are glorifying to you. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. And amen. Yo, you probably heard of the story of the tortoise and the hare, um, like a crash preschool, wherever it is when you were young. Somebody told you the story of the, the, the tortoise and, and, and the hare. Um, so if you don't know, which I don't think is anybody, but for the sake of giving context and for the sake of our sermon, I, I'm going to retell the story um, and then kind of get into our sermon. But this helps us. Uh, with the point that I'm trying to make uh, for today's sermon. But the story of the, the tortoise and the hare, uh, we see that the hare is super fast. Uh, the hare is like lightning uh, and he, he can outrun anything and anyone in the animal kingdom. But the tortoise, on the other hand, super slow, got a shell on him, can't move to save his life. Uh, and so uh, we see that the hare is super arrogant about his being fast, his ability, his capabilities of being fast. He's super arrogant. Uh, he, he believes nobody can outrun him. He believes nobody can tell him anything uh, because he's the fastest in the animal kingdom. And on the other hand, we see that the tortoise is super humble, super slow, you know what I mean? Not arrogant at all, knows his position. Uh, but at some level, it gets to him. And so he calls the hare and says, yo, bro, I'm going to race you to see who's the fastest between us. And this seems ridiculous, seems stupid. Why would the tortoise 
like put himself against their hair. You know that you're slow. You know that you're not going to outrun this dude. And so the hair responds in arrogance and his ego and his pride and his laughing. And it's just like, you're such a punk, such an idiot. How can you think you're going to beat me, bro? I'm Usain Bolt. I'm like the speed of light. I'm this, I'm like lightning. You are like syrup. You're like quicksand. You know, you're just a brick. You're not going to move, bro. How can you think that you would uh, outrun me at all? And so the tortoise says, I do like, yo, just keep your, your comments to yourself let's get this thing going so race day comes um and then they're running right and so they the 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 race starts and the hair just like leaves the tortoise behind like it's just it's a joke right leaves him behind like like it's gone right um just looks like the the tortoise is not even moving if if you compare them like this dog this, this dude is not even jogging right at all the tortoise like just looks like it's not moving. So anyway, the hair is just gone. I'd speed. And so he's running, 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 running. And then in his arrogance, looks behind and he thinks, tortoise is super far. Let me just take a nap. I'd, but not only that, it's like, let me just get some carrots here, eat, take a nap, and I'll still beat him. If that's not arrogance, I don't know what is. You know what I mean? Like this dude thinks he can eat, nap, still beat the tortoise. So he does that. Eats, naps, I'd. And just chills there as he's sleeping. The tortoise then comes. Um, you're probably like after 500 days. Yeah? <laughs> I'm exaggerating. But he's coming coming through and then he sees that the hare is sleeping. So he thinks to himself, maybe let me not like speed past him. Whatever speed is in his mind. Let me not continue jogging or running the way I've been. But let me just walk so I don't wake him up. I Pretty clever dude. Anyway, so he does that. And then like as soon as he passes him continues with his run vas 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 and then after a while the hair realizes oh smack the students passed me i don't know probably saw the dust or something like my grade note teacher never told me how that happened i didn't connect it uh but anyway i'm guessing he probably saw like the the dust or something and he was like oh the students probably passed me and so he gets out from his slumber and he starts running but unfortunately he gets to the finish ray to the finish line and the tortoise has beaten him, right? Like, smacks him, man, like, you know, by seconds. Um, and that's when the hare was humbled, right? So you see at the beginning of the story, uh, the hare was super arrogant, super prideful. Uh, he was the one who would uh, beat everybody. He, no one can outrun him. He's the man. Uh, and the hare is super humble. And then you kind of see those roles reverse where now the hare is the one who is honored. He's the one who is given glory. He's the one who's praised. Um, and the hare, on the other hand, is the one who's humbled. He's the one uh, who has to surrender. He's the one who has to uh, empty himself. Um, but in the middle, you saw what happened there. Do you notice where the reversal happened? The reversal happened when the hare decided to sleep. So sleep is what actually defeated him. <laughs> sleep is what got to him. Um, and that's when the roles were reversed. Kind of like what we're going to be seeing in our story today. Just the ideas of humility, the ideas um, of emptying oneself, the ideas of surrender versus the ideas of pride, of arrogance, of, of, of big ego. Um, and, and where the reversal happens. In the Word of God, we are told that God despises the pride. He hates uh, arrogance. He hates big egos. Um, and those who, who, who exalt themselves 
God will, will humble them. But those who humble themselves, God will exalt them. And I think it's better to be exalted by God than by yourself or the world. Um, and, and it's hard being, being humbled by God. Uh, because God's humility is is deep, it's next level humility. Uh, and so he calls us to humble ourselves before him um, so that he doesn't have to do the humbling. Because when he humbles us, um, it's actually super tough. So he calls us to go before him and surrender, to empty ourselves. Uh, and from that place, he's the one who's going to exalt us. So let's get straight into it without, uh, you know what I mean, just eating too much time. We're looking at chapter 4, 5, and 6. So to kind of give you where we at in chapters 3, we've seen how the beef between Haman and Uncle Marty had started. Uh, and it's really just beef from Haman. Because uh, Uncle Marty would not bow down and worship or pay homage to Haman. Because the same word that's used there of paying homage or bowing down is the same word that the Jews would use uh, to praise and honor and worship God. And so Uncle Marty was like, I'm Jewish, bro. I only worship Yahweh, the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I, I worship the God of the Israelites, no other God. So if I'm going to worship uh, somebody or I'm going to bow down to somebody, uh, it's only going to be to God. Uh, you just a man, you an idol, you, you're not God of the Bible, so I'm not going to do that. And so Haman had beef with Uncle Marty. And he was enraged and obviously then convinced the king to put out a decree to kill all the Jews because he found out that Uncle Marty is Jewish. And so when we pick it up in chapter 4, we see how Uncle Marty then responds to this decree that has been sent out to all the provinces. Listen to what chapter 4 verses 1, um, 2 and 3 say. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city and he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate for no one was allowed to enter the king's gate closed, clothed in sackcloth. And in every province where the king's commands and his decree reached, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting and weeping and lamenting and many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. See how Uncle Muddy responds, right? So from his own personal response, we can kind of deduce that he, he might have uh, been responding just contemplating his own uh, actions that led to Haman going to convince the king to lay out this decree to kill all the Jews. So he's probably thinking to himself, smack, man, I should have probably behaved differently. I should have probably not provoked this guy. I should have probably done what he wanted. Maybe he wouldn't put my people's lives in danger the way he's done now. And as we see that historically in the Bible, people who would put on sackcloth, take off their clothes and, and get into a time of mourning, of lamenting, a, a time of fasting and weeping, they would do so because they're emptying themselves out. They, they want to go before God and say, yo, we, we don't have it all figured out. We, we don't know what to do in this instance. Yo, please free us of our independence. Free us of our self-sufficiency. Free us of our own ways of trying to fix the problem. But you, the one who's supposed to take charge. Normally, people would do this if they're also repenting from their sins. Again, in the book of Esther, God is not mentioned. But we even see from this activity alone, from these actions alone, 
that that there was some higher power that they they submitting to, and obviously they Jews, so it is the God of the Bible. It's Yahweh. It's this God that we worship as well. Uh, we see it uh, just in how they are uh, acting. The fact that Uncle Muddy said the same word of paying homage to Haman is the same word that is used to worship God. I, he, 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 he knew what that word meant. He knew what those actions are and he refused because his allegiance was still to God. And so we see them responding here in humility. And that humility he, he takes before Esther. Uh, and so he knew that Esther is in the palace and Esther might not know what is happening outside the palace with the rest of the people. So he goes to the king's gate so that Esther can see him, so that he can be identified by Esther because he knows in humility he goes before the one person who has authority in the land and that is the queen. Yes, the queen does not have the same authority as the king, but hey, uh, she's the closest to the king. And the first time uh, we see Uncle Marty interacting in saving the king's life was when he had told Esther uh, that the king wanted to be killed. And so he's probably thinking, I got to the king the last time by going through Esther. Let me go do the same thing. And so he goes to the to the king's gate, and there Esther sees him, and then sends uh, her eunuch. Uh, his name is is Hatach, and so he he goes to speak to Uncle Mardi, and becomes like the mediator between Esther and Uncle Mardi. So Esther would tell him something; he would tell it to Uncle Mardi. Uncle Mardi would respond; he would go tell it to Esther, and then there was just the back and forth that was happening between them. Uh, so we see here in verses 5, listen to what it says. When Esther called for Hattach, one of the king's eunuchs who had been appointed to attend her and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what this was and why it was. So there we see that that that, that order from Esther to Hattach to go speak to Uncle Mardi and to start this interaction that is happening between them, which leads us then to that famous speech between Uncle Marty in verses 12 right up until the end where something happens here right? uh, Esther is obviously uh, Mordecai's adopted daughter or niece uh, but we know that Mordecai is an elder to Esther and Esther has always respected Mordecai Esther has always uh, conducted herself in a, in a manner in a way that shows honor and respect to Mordecai nothing is going to change here uh, in that respect nothing is going to change in how Esther honors and respects Mordecai but something is going to change in the positions that they, they occupy in some way where we see the one who is younger being used by God to be in charge, to serve God's purposes, to serve God's people, to serve God's kingdom. See what happens there in verses 12. And they told Mordecai what Esther said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silence at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But, he, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. 
verses 15, Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go gather all the Jews and be, uh, go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf, and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. Can you see what then Mordecai is saying to Esther? Yo, you have been placed in a in a position of authority for the sake of rescuing your people. I uh, I don't think that deliverance will come from anywhere else. Because if you don't deliver us and you keep silent, your father's house will perish. Who's your father's house? Me. I Who will perish? I will perish. So then Mordecai is telling Esther, yo, man, you need to actually go do something. And so Esther is saying to Mordecai, yo, listen, uh, if I go to the king without a, a royal request, uh, even I as a queen can be killed. Right? But then she says to herself, no, listen. It doesn't matter. In fact, here's what needs to happen. You need to go tell all the other Jews to fast for three days. Don't eat or drink anything on my behalf so that I can go to the king and go lay my request. If I die, I die. So something happens that changes. Esther's been getting commands from Mordecai from day one. But now Esther is giving Mordecai commands to say, you go tell the Jews to do this on my behalf. I, and it's not in a way that is disrespectful. It's not in a way that is dishonoring. But you see that God can even use the youngest for the sake of achieving his purposes. He does not only use the old guys. It does not only use the elders. But he even uses people like you. People like me. I, people at your age who are young. People who are still young like me. I mean, obviously there's older dudes like Martin. Uh, there's older dudes like Royden. And sometimes we think God only uses those dudes. But God can use a dude like me. God can use a young person like yourself to achieve his purposes and it does not mean we dishonor the old people. It does not mean we disrespect the old people. But again, you see these, these concepts of, of humility working out here in, in a good way. And nobody was humbled in chapter 4 by God, but instead they humbled themselves before God. They emptied themselves before God. And so Esther does that and says, if I perish, I perish, but I have confidence in God. I have confidence in what he, he's called me to do. I have confidence in him. Hence, she's asking that people would fast on her behalf to go empty themselves and cry out before God so God can help them. And so this begs us to pause and ask the question, how many times are you going to say Christianity or church or the things of God are just for old people? How many times are you going to say in your arrogance, in your pride, in your big ego, yo man, I'll wait till I turn 50 or whatever to take God seriously. That is arrogance. Life does not belong in your hands. Life only belongs in God's hands and God can take your life at any point. Don't be arrogant enough to think that you'll only be ready to do God's work, to be serious about your faith, to be serious about church only when you're old. Now, clearly Esther's role shows us here. That God can even use young people. God uses people who are young like you. God uses people at your age to achieve his purposes and to serve his kingdom and to serve his people. Humble yourself. Make yourself available. Pray that God may use you as an instrument or as a tool. If you perish, you perish. 
Right? You might think to yourself, if I live like a Christian, if I tell my friends about Jesus, if I tell my friends to come to church, if I tell my friends to listen to the sermons that we have here online, they might isolate me, they might ostracize me, they might push me out of the clique because I'm too weird. Yo, if they do so, they do so. If you perish, you perish. But you know that you've been serving God. You know that what you're doing is to help God's people, is to serve God's kingdom. If you perish, you perish. It's not an arrogance. It's a humility that Esther is speaking with here. And so it's a challenge to you as a young person. It's a challenge to me as a young person. Are we going to humble ourselves before God so that God can use us? Remember those who humble themselves, God exalts. And those who exalt themselves before God, God is the one who crushes them and humbles them. So as we continue in chapter 5, chapter 4, we see how humility works like. Right? In chapter 5, we see what arrogant, arrogance and, and big ego looks like. Because what happens here is the first half of chapter 5, Esther then puts on this party, this banquet, to invite Haman and the king. And invites them so that she can put a request to invite them to another party. But here's what's actually happening Esther is trying to soften the king's heart. Esther is trying to work the king's heart so that when she asks and puts forth her requests, that the king would grant it. She doesn't want any mistakes. She doesn't want to, to come um, and slip. But she, she, she wants to just you know, give her request once off and that the king accepts it. And so... She, she doesn't want to slip up. She doesn't want to come uh, and, and take a chance that the king might not accept her request. So she wants to butter up the king. She wants to warm the king's heart, soften the king's heart, so that when she lays her request, that the king will accept. Because see what happens there in, in verses 6 of chapter 5. And they were drinking wine after the feast. This is Haman, Esther, and the king. The king said to Esther, what is your wish? It shall be granted you. And what is your request? Even, the, even to the half of my kingdom, it shall be fulfilled. And so the king is saying to Esther, yo, listen, I even asked it twice. Yo, what is your request? What is your wish? Whatever it is, I'll grant it. Even if you want me to give you half of my kingdom, I'll give it to you. So already she's won favor with the king. But Esther wants to win more favor so that when she asks, whatever it is that she wants to ask, a.k.a. I want you to say my people, the king, will obviously grant her that request. Listen to what Esther says, verses 7. Then Esther answered, My wish and my request is, if I found favor in the sight of the king, and it pleases the king to grant my wish and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come to the feast that I will prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king has said. So you see what's Esther says, if I've already found favor in you, I come back tomorrow. I'm going to throw you another party. And then at that party, I'll ask my request. I'll give you my wish. And so she's buttering the heart of the king. It's pretty dope. It's pretty, it's pretty, it's pretty clever. It's what Jesus says in the Gospels. We need to be as shrewd um, as serpents and gentle as doves. And you see Esther here being gentle. Like a dove, but she's been clever, right? Like a serpent as well. Just seeing how she can pull the strings of the heart of the king so that she can get what she wants. Right? And so what we see after this is just the arrogance of Haman. 
So in chapter 4, like I said, we see the humility of Mordecai and Esther. In chapter 5, we see the arrogance of Haman. Listen to what verses 9 says. And Haman went out that day joyful and glad of heart. But Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, and he neither rose nor trembled before him, and he was filled with wrath against Mordecai. So he's nice, he's drunk, he's had a good time, he's going home, sees Mordecai. Mordecai doesn't tremble, Mordecai does not move, and he's filled with rage and anger. How does that rage and anger express itself? What it expresses itself in his ego, in his arrogance, in his pride, as we see what happens. All right? you, you, you'll think to yourself, if somebody is this angry, they'll probably go off, take a swim, just you know, cool off or just go home, chill, watch Netflix and just cool off, make sure that this anger is not consuming them. But Haman does something that only an arrogant, egotistic person, prideful person will do. Listen to what verse 10 says. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home and sent and brought his friends and his wife, Zeresh. And Haman recounted to them the splendor of his riches. The number of his sons, all the promotions with which the king had honored him, and how he had uh, advanced him above the officials and servants of the king. So instead of chilling at home, watching Netflix or, or tuning into Showmax or just taking a, a, a shower so he can cool off or jumping into the pool uh, so he can relax, instead he calls his friends and his wife and his family and he shows off. Yo, listen to all the things I've achieved, the promotions I've gotten, the honor that I've gotten from the king, how many sons I have, I, uh, uh, all the things that I've achieved for myself. Shows off. That's how he responds to that. We see his arrogance and we see his pride and we see his egotistic nature. Right? And then he does not stop there. He continues in verses 12. Then Haman said, even Queen, Queen Esther, let no one but me come to the king to the feast she had prepared. And tomorrow also I am invited by her together with the king. And see what he says. If you think all the things I'm showing you are dope, if you think I'm the man of the hour, I'm the headliner, yo, guess what? I've been invited to a personal, private party with the king and queen. This is insane. It's like somebody coming to you and saying, yo, look at all the Grammys I have. Look at all the summer awards I have. Look at all the, the accolades I have. Look at all the cars I have. Look at all the houses I have. I, uh, but if you think that's not enough, I've been invited to a private party with Beyonce and Jay-Z. Right? In fact, not even a party. I had breakfast with Beyonce and Jay-Z in their room, under their bed. Who else can say that? Nobody can say that. I chilled with the king and queen, son, in their bedroom and had breakfast with them. That's buck, right? That's like another level of arrogance. It's insane. This guy is so arrogant that he's just blinded uh, to his own foolishness. He's blinded to, to his own ego. But then he continues to say something very interesting. Verses 13. Yet all this is worth nothing to me as long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Honestly, honestly, all your houses, your accolades, your promotions, your honor, your, your, the sons you have, chilling with Jay-Z and Beyonce, having breakfast in their bedroom, on their bed, means nothing if Mordecai the Jew is still sitting at the king's gate. Really? You're concerned about some dude at the king's gate. You're concerned about some dude uh, at the toll gate. You're concerned about some dude at the boom gate. 
And yet you have all of this. Can you see how arrogance, pride, and ego blinds people? You can have everything but still want more because that's what arrogance says. Arrogance says. That's what ego says. Right? Ego says, mm, I have this. It's not enough because I want it all. I have fame. Not enough. I want all the fame. Right? Ego does not settle with I have a million followers. Ego says I want all the followers. Pride does not settle with, well, I have three five or 5,000 likes. Pride says I want all the likes. I want no one else to have the likes. I want all the likes. I want everyone else not to have the followers. I want to have the followers. That's what ego does. That's what pride does. And it blinds you, makes you look like a punk, makes you look like an idiot, makes you look like a fool, makes you look stupid. Because you're so caught up in yourself. You're so caught up in what you are doing. Shows off to all his friends. Shows off even to his own wife. And you see how stupid this is. Right? This is the dumbest thing ever. And listen then to how his friends and his wife respond. And his wife, uh, Zeresh, and all his friends said to him, Let a gallo 50 cubits high be made, and in the morning tell the king to have Mordecai hung, uh, hanged upon it. Then go joyfully with the king to the feast. This idea pleased Haman. And he had the gallows made. So his wife and his friends tell him, then go kill him then. If he's such a, a pain in your neck, go kill him, right? Let's be uh, done with him and move on with your life. And then we jump over to verse, uh, to chapter 6, rather. Uh, so in chapter 4, we see humility and how it works out. In chapter 5, we see pride and arrogance and big ego working itself out. In chapter 6, we see the reversal. We see that moment where the head decided to sleep and how the roles were changed. That's what we see now in chapter 6. Uh, chapter 6 verses 1. And that night, the king could not sleep. And he gave orders to bring the book of memorable deeds, the chronicles, and they were read before the king. It was found, written how Mordecai had told about Bictana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold and who had sought to lay hands on King Xerxes. And the king said, What honor or distinction has been given or bestowed to Mordecai? The king's young man who attended him said, Nothing has been done. See, the reversal happens here, not with sleep, but rather the lack of sleep. So again, you see God's providence, right? That God did not grant the king any sleep. Forcing the king then to sit up at night, wanting people to go through his Twitter timeline, to go through his Instagram feed, to go through his Facebook page and look at all the deeds that he had been involved in, all the things that have been happening in the kingdom and, and who's been involved in what's been happening. And so now his servants are going through all his accounts and just reading that and saying, yo, in your Twitter timeline, this is what happened this day. This is what you said. This is what the other person said. Yo, this is the picture you put out on your Instagram two weeks ago. This is what's popping, blah, blah, blah. And in all of that, he realizes, oh, Dad, there was a day this guy named Uncle Marty who saved me. What did we do to thank him? And then his boys turn around and say, we did nothing, bro. We didn't give him anything to honor him. And so now this starts the, the chain of events uh, where we see the reversal happening. Right? And so now uh, in the morning, Haman leaves his house, obviously built the gallows. He's wanting to hang 
Uncle Marty and he goes to the palace to try and convince the king to decree that Uncle Marty be killed. Um, and so then what happens in the morning is that the king hears that there's somebody in the court and he says, and the king said, who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to speak to the king about having Mordecai hung, or hanged rather, on the gallows. And he, and he had prepared for him, or rather that he had prepared for him. And the king's young men told him, Haman is here standing in the court. And the king said, let him come in. So Haman came in and the king said to him, what should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? What should be done to the man the king delights to honor? I, this is where the downfall happens. This is when the flip happens. This is when the reversal happens. Um, so Haman comes there and is obviously hearing what the king is talking about. Probably like e -E, like eavesdropping. Um, and then he's he, he been called in. He jumps in. And the king does not give him context. The king does not tell him, yo, this is what we're talking about. This is who we need to honor. But the king says, hmm, there's, there's a man I want to honor. Um, and I'm just wondering how I should honor this guy. Haman in his arrogance. Haman in his big ego, Haman in his pride, believes, wants to believe, wants to think that the king is talking about him. Listen to what he says here. I, and Haman said to himself, not to the king, Haman said to himself, <laughs> whom would the king delight to honor more than me? Whom would the king delight to honor more than me? He thinks that the king is talking about him. And so then, obviously wanting everything, he then tells the king, I think you should honor this guy in this way. All right? Parade him around the city. Put him on a horse. Make sure everybody worships him. Make sure everybody uh, sees him. Clothe him in the best royal robes. The best trip that everybody has ever seen in this kingdom. Make sure that he's dressed in all of that. Right? And make sure that everybody bows down and honors this guy and make it a law. It is a decree by you, king. And so the king says, yo, man, I think that's actually a dope idea. <laughs> so here's what's going to happen. Right? You need to take Mordecai because that's the guy I'm speaking about. And you need to go do everything that you had just suggested right now. Verses 11. So Haman took the robes and the horse and he dressed Mordecai and led him through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. See, he had exalted himself. And Mordecai humbled himself. And in the reversal, the lack of sleep, God uses the king then to honor Mordecai and humble Haman. Verses 12, then Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman hurried to his house mourning with his head covered. Verses 13, Haman told his wife Zeresh and all his friends everything that had happened to him. Then his wise men and his wife Zeresh said to him, if Mordecai before whom you have begun to fall is of the Jewish people, you will not overcome him, but will surely fall before him. So now, a reversal has happened and we see as well just how his wife and his own friends were submitted to him. 
had surrendered to him as he was showering them with his arrogance. But now the roles are reversed here as well, where we see him submitting himself before his friends, humbling himself before his friends, as his friends shower him with their advice. If Mordecai is Jewish and he's the one who's over you, well, we don't think that you'll rise. Mordecai is going to overtake you. Mordecai is going to be the one who overcomes you. What is the lesson for, for us as we think about the book of Esther? What is the lesson for us today? The biggest thing here is obviously how we need to be humbled before God. How we need to surrender ourselves before God. How we need to empty ourselves before God. Trust Him. Believe Him. And know that He's the one who will do as He pleases with us, with the world, because He's the one who runs it and rules it, and, and He's the one who is in charge. So how will this look like? Well, one, if you're not a Christian and you're watching this, the very definition of a Christian is somebody who has emptied themselves, somebody who has humbled themselves, somebody who has come to the end of themselves, somebody who realizes that they're not in charge, they're not independent, they're not self-sufficient, they're not the rulers, they're not the kings, they're not the queens, but somebody who realizes that God is everything, God is boss, God is God. So if you're not Christian, I would urge you today, humble yourself, go before God, and say to God, God, I don't have all the answers. I am not in control. I've tried to run and rule my own life for however long, however old you are, however young you are. And say, clearly I failed. And I want you to be my God. I want you to be my king. I want you to take over. God, I want to surrender before you. If Jesus Christ has humbled himself on the cross so that I may not take that cross upon myself, I may not take that wrath. Lord, thank you so much for that. I'm, 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 I'm grateful for all of that. Please take me as I am right now, as I humble myself before you. But for some of us who are Christians, and we might have wandered off because we followed our pride, our ego, our arrogance, and we started believing that we are kings and queens of our own lives, maybe it's time for us to come back and surrender to God. Just be in the same posture that Uncle Marty and the Jews and Esther were in. I'm not saying put on sackcloth. I'm not saying now go out to the, to the boom gate of wherever it is and cry out. Uh, but instead, in your own room, in your own privacy, say to God, Lord, please forgive me for my arrogance. Please forgive me for trying to be the king or queen of my own life. Take me as I am right now. Lord, I, I, I'd rather humble myself before you, acknowledging all my failures, acknowledging all my mistakes, than to be humbled by you um, in a way that is crushing. And for all of us to, to think, if we don't humble ourselves now, one day when God is standing in front of the universe and is judging every single person, most of us will be humbled if we're not in Jesus. But for those who have lived a life of humility, God will honor us and give us a place in his kingdom. So humble yourself now. Don't wait for that final day. If you still have breath in your lungs and you can do it today. Again, I repeat this. God is not mentioned in the book of Esther. But in his people's humility, we see him working in the background. And so... Use that. 
just as a reflection of your own life? Will people see the hand of God in your life and how you walk in humility and how you walk as a humbled person? When it comes to your elders, when it comes to your peers, when it comes to non-believers, will they see Jesus in how you walk in humility? Because we need to represent the kingdom of God and live the same way that our king lived. Jesus Christ humbled himself. He left all his splendor, left all his glory in heaven, became like one of us, walked the dusty streets of Palestine, subjected himself to the pain that we experience, to hunger, to fatigue. And yet he was crucified on the cross, the most humiliating death ever. And from that place, the Bible tells us that God exalted him and gave him a name that's above all other names. It's not that the name of Jesus was never great, but this pattern of humility he lives so that we can see and see how his name is great before us. So that we can trust the God who identifies with us. So look to this Jesus who has humbled himself for your sake. Let me pray as we think about that. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your own humility. Thank you for calling us to yourself. Thank you so much, Lord, um, for reminding us um, of humility, for reminding us of a sense of emptying ourselves, of surrendering ourselves before you, Lord. And Lord, we want to be in your kingdom. We want you to exalt us one day, Lord. We want to be seated next to you, Lord, and to be ruling and reigning with you, Father. Um, and so I pray, Father, that you may help us now to live a life of humility so one day we can hear those, those glorious words. Well done, my good and faithful servant, Lord, as we enter into your gates. Lord, forgive us for our pride, forgive us for our arrogance, forgive us for our big egos, and help us, Lord, to realize that, Lord, we are nothing outside of you. And you are the only one who gives us value and worth. Lord, I pray for those who are not Christian that you may draw them to yourself, um, Help them to humble themselves, to surrender their lives, to let go of their independency, Lord, and come to you and trust you and believe you. In your precious name, we pray for all of these things, Lord Jesus. Amen. Guys, thank you so much for watching this. I hope you're encouraged. Um, I hope that you will continue reading the book of Esther and come back next week as we continue um, in the story of Esther to see uh, how all of this unfolds and what's going to happen to the Jews um, and how Esther and Mordecai will get there. So please stay tuned um, and make sure that you're following us as well on our Instagram. Again, we have uh, Zoomination on Fridays, Hopper 7 till Hopper 8. So come through for that. Uh, the login details will be uh, on our Instagram. So come through for that if you want to be part of it. It's pretty dope. So I'll see you on Friday at Zoomination. All right, peace. Damn.